Caribbean Birth Stories has been brought to you by the Amai Birth Collection. Head over to theamishop.com. That's the A-M-A-I-Shop.com for special offers and to learn more about the Amai family. There has never been a podcast that focuses on Caribbean women from all walks of life, narrating their journey of giving birth, navigating self-care postpartum, and parenting across a beautiful region. Now there is Caribbean Birth Stories, the podcast. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Caribbean Birth Stories. I'm so excited because I have Nicosia here with me and she's actually my very first person from the Cayman Islands that I've interviewed. So I'm super excited about that. Um, So Nicosia, hi. Hi, thanks for having me, Chanel. This is exciting. I know, I know. Um, So we're going to go straight into it. And I wanted to ask you about your journey to motherhood. Would you say that it was a smooth one? How would you describe it? So I would say that it was it was somewhat smooth, but it did have some bumps and, and potholes in between. And it was a case where we hadn't really planned to become pregnant. We just thought if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, then we deal with whatever emotions or what have you that may come out of that. Mm-hmm. And so um, we discovered that we were pregnant one, uh, what was it, in August, uh, sorry, in April. Mm-hmm. Uh, that year, um, a couple of years ago, and it went relatively smooth the first couple of weeks after discovering it. And then I was dehydrated and not able to keep anything down and right. was diagnosed with hyperemesis, if I'm saying yes. that correctly. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I spent 10 days in the hospital on wow. drips, no less. And I could have probably been released by, say, day seven, but my doctor wanted to make absolute sure that I was much better and could keep my food down and everything. I wasn't able to even drink water initially. That's how bad it was. Mm -hmm. Even sipping water, eating crackers, all of those things that they say to you that you should do Mm -hmm. if you're experiencing nausea or, as we call it, morning sickness. I tried all of those things and nothing worked. So initially, before all of that, I was able to, I I started to notice differences in terms of what I could and couldn't eat. Mm -hmm. And boiled egg was my Mm. go-to. Crackers didn't really help me. They say that that's what you should have, right? That didn't really help me initially. Mm -hmm. And it was in the middle of the night I woke up again having a craving because you know how it is suddenly you just feel like violently hungry yeah um, <laughs> I my husband boiled an egg and or a couple of eggs and I ate uh after eating one or two of them suddenly I felt sick and then mm. I started to puke and it was downhill from then right. I couldn't keep anything down and then I was hospitalized for that 10-day period mm-hmm. but after being uh, discharged from the hospital, um, it's not like I could eat every and anything again, but I could right. at least um, eat some stuff. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, and you're the first one that I've had that has had morning sickness that badly that you've mm-hmm. had to be hospitalized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I would think that 
boiled eggs is not necessarily the thing you want to try, <laughs> you want to have when you're pregnant. I mean, you know, a lot of us have these um, food aversions, you yeah. know, just because of the strong sense. And to me, like egg, as soon as you said egg, like I started to feel like <laughs> mm, not a good idea. No. Eggs were my saving grace for the first few weeks after discovering that we were pregnant. So oh. I think I was maybe six weeks on when I discovered that I was pregnant mm-hmm. and I was just tired. After being discharged from the hospital, I was so tired all the time. Mm-hmm. I would go home at lunchtime and take a, a mid-afternoon nap. Yes. And sometimes at work, I would just go and sit in the bathroom in the toilet and just oh, like no. just sit <laughs> in the toilet seat and just sit there yes. until I started to feel better. And no one really noticed. The only mm-hmm. person at work that sort of said anything to me was a lady who she was on holiday for maybe about a month. Right. She was on some extended leave period. Mm-hmm. And she came back into the office and we were talking. I was saying hello to her. We didn't even talk for a long period of time. And she said to me, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm fine. But this time no one knew because it, I hadn't reached the um, 13 week or 12 week yes. mark. Mm-hmm. No one knew. And so I was keeping it a secret. Yes. And, but all this time I'm dying, you know, and people with their fragrances and oh, I was dying. But yes. I had to keep it a secret just because we wanted to make sure that right. we got to that sort of like, you know, safe, safe. Mm-hmm. safe pregnancy. Yes, yes, I totally get it. So being from the Cayman Islands, um, were there any typical Caymanian things that was said to you eventually when you announced that you were pregnant and you were expecting like did people say stuff that you know you're like oh that's so well, funny enough um so my mother-in-law she's from jamaica actually ah, okay and she said to me any craving that you have you need to make sure Fabian gets it for you. So my, that's my husband. You right. need to make sure he gets it. Otherwise, you're going to mark the baby. I don't know. I guess like yes. the baby would have a birthmark. Mm-hmm. Just like if you crave chicken, you need to get it. <laughs> Whatever you crave. <laughs> so, yes. my that was like all... the main thing. Yes. And she said Cerisy. I think they may they might call that have a different name for that in Trinidad and, and in other parts of the Caribbean. But Ceresi, C-E-R-A-S-E-E, I think that's how it's spelled. It's a vine, yeah. a wild vine. A lot of people look at it as like weeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has these orange pulp looking thing. I think mm-hmm. if, if I were to show you a photograph of it, you would probably I, I know. know yeah. And yeah. I know my listeners are probably going to be like, how could Chanel not know what, she, what she's talking about? <laughs> I apologize in advance. I don't know. No, but is. there are different names for it in different parts of the Caribbean. This so is... it grows, it, it's like a vine. It grows on, so if you have a fence, it would grow on the fence. Right. Uh, it just grows wild. Wild. All over the place. But it has these yellow, almost orangey looking small pulp-like things. Right. Um, I don't think you eat those or do anything with them, but the vine, the green vine, Mm-hmm. You can dry that and boil it and have it mm-hmm. as a tea. tea. And she said to me, make sure you drink that because mm-hmm. it will make the baby's skin pretty. So oh, clean. Yes. You know, mark. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But the, the sad thing is I was all the way in Hong Kong. So my son was <sighs> born in Hong Kong. And mm-hmm. where do I get Sarah C? We're in the middle of, you know, a city 
It's a mm-hmm. concrete jungle. All right. I'm sure they don't know anything about Cersei there. And even if they did, I wouldn't know how to describe it to them. So what she did, luckily, my brother-in-law came to visit us. And okay. she sent, actually, no, it was when my mom came. My mom okay. came that summer. And she sent uh, these prepackaged Cersei tea bags. Mm. I don't know where she got them from. Right. But I think she got them from a supermarket, but I don't know. Um, I hadn't seen them before, and that's right. what she sent to me. And so we boiled that, and I would drink it every so often. So those are really the only things that were said to me. My mom doesn't really have any sort of, like, superstitions that, right. you know, she didn't okay. say advise me of anything. And then but tell me Mm-hmm. No, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. But in terms of like what Caymanians would say, no one actually told me anything. Um, right. But a lot of my family isn't even really from Cayman, so okay, I didn't get any Cayman tidbits. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I was just gonna say. So tell me a little bit about the Hong Kong experience. Being pregnant in Hong Kong, so it's a new city that you've. You know, how long were you there before you found out you were pregnant? So I had been there for just over a year, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, I was a bit, I mean, we, we were okay. We thought it's it wasn't even about where we were at, where we were living, but more so in terms of timing, right. in terms of career, mm-hmm. uh, marriage, life, age, yes. et cetera. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, if it happens, it happens. But of course, in the back of my mind, I was thinking there are no family here. Right. It's just my husband and myself. Mm-hmm. We don't speak the language, although a lot of people speak English. They're yes. um, bilingual, mm-hmm. but there are equally a number of people who don't speak English. And right. so then having to consider eventually, at the, do we give birth in Hong Kong or do we go back home? So that right. was something that I sort of battled with for a while. And especially where I had gotten to the point in my pregnancy too, where I just didn't, I just, I sort of felt like I wanted to be home. I wasn't right. sure what I was feeling. I wasn't even sure that's what it was. I just mm-hmm. didn't feel it myself. Yes. And I just, I, I, and then there were a lot of strong fragrances too. Yes. We lived in an area where there were a lot of restaurants and mm-hmm. I would get up in the morning, get ready to go to work. So I walked to work because work was about seven minutes, five to seven minutes walk away. Mm-hmm. And I get up, I'm fine. I'm okay. No nausea. But once I started walking, I started to get sick and I literally sometimes had to walk with like tissue paper held up to my nose yeah. And in Hong Kong, it's it's common for people to wear masks because yes. back in the day when they had SARS and swine flu, but I never did don a mask. I think maybe once I did. Right. Um, right. But the passing, even the, the clothing stores had like strong fragrances and I would just mm-hmm. get sick. But yeah, yeah, in the back of my mind was deciding, do I want to come back home or do I mm-hmm. want to stay? And part of the deciding factor was the insurance and you know, mm-hmm. with insurance companies, when if I were to come back to Cayman, I would need to register with an insurance company by law, whether mm-hmm. I have employment or not, mm-hmm. and which I would have had employment anyway. But uh, being pregnant is is seen as a predisposed condition. Mm-hmm. I think that's terminology. Yeah. yeah. And so it's possible that they either would not have insured me or it would have been costly or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was all about weighing my options. Right. And considering to what benefit would I get from the insurance company? Yeah. What would they pay? 
in terms of my prenatal care. And mm-hmm. I found that the insurance company, the insurance provider or insurance policy I had in Hong Kong was actually more beneficial for that purpose. Right. So I ended up staying. And I, oh. I love to doctor in Hong Kong, actually. I was just going to ask you about that. How did you even find, like, um, uh, OBGYN? Do they use midwives over there? Like, you know, give me a little... Because a lot of Caribbean women choose to have their children abroad, whether in your case you were there for work or they just choose to go and have their child abroad. So, I mean, I'm sure some listeners would have wondered about having a yeah. baby in Asia. And um, so, yeah, so tell us about how you went about finding your your provider. So again, that's, that was a fair because obviously different cultures, different yeah. languages and different understanding. Mm-hmm. I was somewhat afraid initially and wondering what the experience was going to be like. But right. thankfully, Hong Kong is such a melting pot of different cultures. Mm-hmm. And it's probably one of the most sort of modern cities in Asia. Yes. And there's a lot of different, as I said, different cultures. So different people from uh, England, Australia, etc. And even the um, the the healthcare providers they themselves too have vast experiences outside of Asia and outside of Hong Kong in in particular, and I just googled to be honest, so I googled it and oh no, I lied I did Google it but right. <laughs> but my GP okay. who worked at like a uh, it was sort of a, a Western type uh, medical um, medical office yeah so they had a lot of people who came from the uk Mm -hmm. and they had locals too but if they were locals they may have worked outside of hong kong at some point right and so i asked for a recommendation because i googled it couldn't decide on a doctor so i asked my gp who was a male gp for a recommendation but he has kids he has a family as well so okay and and of course he's in that area that field right so I asked for his recommendation. He gave me a contact. I called that person. They were not able to see me right away. And that's when I was experiencing the nausea where I was finding it difficult to keep things down. Mm-hmm. And that it was a female uh, obstetrician he had referred me to. She mm-hmm. couldn't see me for weeks. Right. And I was like, no, I need to see someone sooner. And um, so I, he ref- I was recommended to someone else. Okay. And that was like his second option, but the lady was his first option. So right. anyway, I went to this doctor, a Chinese, uh, well, I say Chinese, but Asian as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm not sure if he had practiced outside of uh, Asia. I didn't even had the opportunity to look him up because soon after being uh, introduced to him, that's when I started to experience hyperemesia. Yeah. And he referred me to a hospital where mm. I was then uh, admitted for 10 days. Right. So I didn't even really get to do proper background research on this doctor, yeah. but it turned out to be great. And if I were to have another child, I wish I could go for him to deliver that child again. Okay. That's good. Yeah. That's fantastic. Now tell me about the mode of delivery for your baby. Sorry, the mode of delivery. So did you have oh, a vaginal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You had a vaginal Okay, and so I considered C-section, but my husband was against it. He's like, "No, you should have it natural." And I'm like, "You're not the one having it." (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. If you can push a baby out, then you can tell me. <laughs> totally understand. Totally understand. So, and it was, so it was interesting. You had a choice in the matter? I had a choice. Uh, Hong Kong is actually known for uh, C-sections. A lot um, of people tend to have C-sections. For me, it wasn't even about the... Um, it wasn't, it was more about uh, being afraid of, of pain. Yes. That's what it was. I wanted some sort of easy way easy. out of it. Which but, it isn't really. No, that's what I found out after <laughs> looking at the research and uh, watching YouTube, YouTube university, university yeah. and people talking about the pain and the, the inability to properly hold their kids after their child exactly. and having to do the follow-up mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then we considered uh, the possibility of traveling soon after giving okay. birth because I would be on maternity leave for a six months period. My my um, office uh, allows you to take up to an, uh, six months off, including the statutory um, leave. So we mm-hmm. thought, okay, perhaps we can travel back to Cayman for some or all of that time. Right. And so I didn't want to be to be uh, having to do doctor's follow-up mm-hmm. and not being able to pull and lift stuff easily uh, right. or more, much more easier than than I would if I had a C-section. Right. So the recovery time was something that deterred me mm-hmm. from having a, a C-section. Right. Okay. But the actual vaginal experience, how did it compare to what you were kind of expecting it to be? You know what? I think I was somewhat blessed. So in the middle of the morning, like maybe two or three o'clock, I think around three, four o'clock, three o'clock, I went to the bathroom, got up, went to pee, got back into bed, and then I felt a release of water. It wasn't like what you would see on TV. TV, right. My husband, I said, I I don't know. I I think my water just broke. I'm not sure. (laughs) Because it's not that huge gush of water like people think, right? Right. And um. He's like, oh, okay. He didn't know what to do. Despite us talking about this before, you know, men, they don't listen. So I literally had to take charge. Anyway, we got to the hospital at around six or so, mm-hmm. um, did all of the signing in, although I had like done some pre-signing in, but still had to do mm-hmm. some Small forms, yeah. Yeah. Got to the room at around seven. Um, I was lying there. I didn't feel any pain. I didn't really start to feel any sort of pain until way in the late evening. Right. But my doctor had visited at around eight o'clock that morning, and he said mm-hmm. to me, "You're having that baby today." And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, "How do you know?" Because at this point, I am not feeling any pain whatsoever. Nothing. No contractions. But I oh. was about a centimeter dilated, and um, had lunch in it. Yeah. Okay. I had lunch and everything and uh, napped in the afternoon. And then they, <laughs> I'm yeah, thinking to myself, good. this doctor says that I'm having this child today. I don't think so. <laughs> but come eight o'clock, I was about four centimeters dilated. But once I started to feel any sort of pain, it was on my birth plan that I had provided to the hospital that mm-hmm. I wanted to have an epidural like right. very soon after. I started mm-hmm. to feel pain no matter how low it was because, as we know, once you start, once the contractions start, 
things could progress rather quickly and mm-hmm. you could be prevented from having an epidural. And there was no way I was having this child without an epidural. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry, but I was not having it, right? And especially yeah. her stories of people being in labor for hours and hours. I was mm-hmm. like, no, I'm having an epidural. So, right. but thankfully I have an, I had an anesthesiologist or anesthetist. Mm-hmm. How do no. you say it? I always have anesthesiologist is fine or anesthetist. Yeah. Anesthetist. I will stick with mm-hmm. anesthesiologist because <laughs> yeah. it's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. I butcher that word every time, but he was awesome. So he did not give me a very strong dose to begin with. Okay. He said, let's start you off with something low. And then we can always increase it thereafter, which some might say, well, what if your, your, you know, your, your, um, the labor had progressed rather quickly. Oh, well, but at least I would have had something to numb the pain a bit. But, uh, you know, I started to feel much more pain at around eight o'clock. I, um, was fully dilated by nine within an hour of getting from four or five to like 10 within an hour. Mm-hmm. and had the baby at 10 p.m. that night oh wow but I would say I had a relatively easy so did you work. push for long or it was it, like I, it felt like a long time to me <laughs> but, but it wasn't actually it was probably 30 minutes or less okay. or 20 Pretty so good. we started to push before the doctor came in before I was 100 percent um dilated we started okay. with little pushes so mm-hmm. when I, I think there was eight or nine, uh, and then the doctor arrived, and from there it was quick. It was okay. quick once the doctor got there, but he also helped to pull the baby out because the cord, mm. the, the um, umbilical cord, was tied around was around him. I wasn't sure what was going on because they weren't clear to me. They just, right. um, I just felt where they said uh, he was sideways. That's what I was told. Mm. That he was sideways. And so right. the doctor, when I actually felt any real pain, yeah. was when the doctor reached in. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel him in, but when he turned the baby. Oh my gosh, yes. I, I felt that. That mm-hmm. was the that thing pressure. that I didn't like. And yeah. also at that time, the epidural had started to wear off because mm-hmm. there was a point where I wasn't getting any in and I, I had had the last dosage for some time. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't even like it. Didn't feel painful either, um, right? Pushing and stuff. I was more so tired, right? Because the night before I didn't sleep well. The night before, mm-hmm. um, not the night that my water broke, but the night before that, okay. I didn't sleep well. Couple that with the night that I went into labor. The night that my water broke. Right, you didn't yeah. have a proper night. For the sleep. morning before I was admitted, the morning that I was admitted to the hospital, mm-hmm. um, water breaking, mm-hmm. uh, I obviously didn't really get much sleep either because mm-hmm. we went to bed late, and then right. I got up to use the bathroom at around two or three, and then my water broke soon after. So yeah, there's no sleeping yeah. after that. I was not so tired, even though I had napped in the hospital, but I wasn't. I don't think I really slept. I, I was more so tired. So when the midwife, she was like, push, push. And I'm like, I am pushing. <laughs> and then I'm like, it hurts. And she's yeah. like, what hurts? And I'm like, I could have punched her. <laughs> what do you mean? What hurts? <laughs> okay, we don't condone violence around here. But no, no. Me what hurts, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? What hurts? She's <laughs> like, what hurts? And I understand that that was her way probably of trying to like appease me or, or take 
charge of the situation. But, was like, oh. but yeah, no, I not- wish I had a second midwife. I had one midwife and thankfully my husband was there. Right. So he was able to help to hold one leg whilst the midwife held another. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking if my, if I was a single mother or, you know, my husband wasn't able to be there, how what? would I have done that? Because I didn't mm-hmm. have any of those stirrups or anything that some people have to put their legs into and just one midwife. And I have yeah. a friend who delivered at the same same hospital, also from Cayman. Uh, oh. She had her child six months before I did. I did ask her uh, if she had stirrups after I had my child and she said yeah no if she had two midwives sorry okay 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 that's good so tell me a little bit about the postpartum period so you've had this baby like any challenges you didn't foresee okay so I I was pretty active during my pregnancy I walked to and from work daily we lived in a building on the fourth floor of that building uh that had stairs Right, a walk up, what you call a walk up. Mm -hmm. And so it was pretty easy for me. And I was always physically active even before. And one of the things that uh, someone told me a long time ago, not just in relation to pregnancy, but just your general health and sickness and stuff and and being able to recover quickly from illness is to build muscle mass. So I'm not a muscular person, but I enjoy working out and going to the gym. Uh, and being active and so Mm -hmm. thankfully I was in the gym before so I think that helped me in terms of like my pregnancy and I drink a lot of water naturally Mm -hmm. like I try to drink like a gallon bottle of water every day Uh, sometimes I I don't but I think that helped a lot with my pregnancy Mm -hmm. and side note I think my son uh, benefited from that because now he hardly drinks juices he drinks a lot of water aside from his milk so anyway that helped. Didn't really have much of an issue during the pregnancy, save for some breathing issues. One day I had some sort of pain, but I can tell you about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. And after giving birth, that's when I experienced swelling, which I didn't have before. And that's so swelling feet, in your legs? Mm-hmm. In my feet, yeah. In your feet. And I think it's from the epidural. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't wear my shoes. I could only wear flip-flops. I couldn't wear anything that was enclosed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like the rubber flip- flip-flops? Yeah. The rubber slippers? Mm-hmm. The, the ones that go between the big toe and the other toe. Yeah. The thong. Those yeah. are the only shoes that I could wear, footwear that I could wear. For how and long? I, yeah. It's, when I touched my uh, the top of my foot, so between my ankles and my toes, mm-hmm. that's where the water was uh, accumulated. Yeah. And it was very soft. And you could mm-hmm. feel the fluid in it. So we and, call um, that pitting edema. In like, oh, okay. Yes. So you had like a lot of swelling because, I mean, at the end of the day, you also had a lot of fluid. The total volume of fluid would have increased from I your know. pregnancy. And this now had to leave your body. And yeah, sometimes with the epidural, it can cause your circulation to be a little bit sluggish. And mm-hmm. so the removal of all of that excess fluid takes a little bit longer. Um okay. So, yeah, so it can cause that pooling within the feet. I actually experienced that same thing, too, after, yeah. I mean, how long would you say it lasted? Maybe just over a week. I'm not even sure if I noticed when it went away. Right. I mean, you have other things to deal with. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And then another thing that occurred that I had no clue. So the swelling, I didn't realize that that could happen after birth. You always think pre 
birth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The another thing was that my arms, my wrists, mm. I couldn't open my thumbs properly. You know, you're holding the baby between here. Mm-hmm. And I remember one morning I woke up and I went to lift the sheet off the bed and even just lifting a very thin sheet like Mm -hmm. I felt like a shock went through Mm -hmm. my hands and I went like like I draw my hand back quickly and I noticed I couldn't really do this with the baby yes and I had to get my husband to place him into my arm like this you know when I I, in a cradle place my arm in a cradle type holding position yeah and that lasted for a long time that's really common. That's really common, though. I'm so glad you're bringing this up, Nick, because yeah. that's um, the Quavian's synovitis, and that happens in your thumb. A lot of women experience that, and it's almost like um, an inflammatory response to um, the excess swelling, the excess movement in the area. Um, so those tendons tend to, they just don't like it very much because now they're being asked to do a lot more because if you're not really um on top of like your positioning like when you have a newborn the positioning where you have your wrist where you have your thumb that kind of thing you can hold positions for extended periods that are not necessarily ideal for the for your thumb and for your wrists and for your forearm and for your shoulder so because of that your body um doesn't like it and you get this inflammatory response um so yeah so that's really really common but it's interesting that you had it on both hands right I did one more than the other and then there were times when the one that wasn't hurting as much would be the the, the one hurting most right so yeah. it would just switch every now and then so I, I went to see a physiotherapist oh you did go yeah and then I got a brace for my hand so it had a a metal piece that would support the thumb yes that helped a bit but then did there came a time where it just wouldn't even work I'm sorry did you use it during the day or at night I did I wore it during the daytime thankfully I was at home so I had such a long maternity leave mm-hmm. I was at home and I used it during the daytime and even slept with it so okay. that when I woke up in the morning because in the morning one of that that was the most painful time period because whilst you're asleep your fingers and your thumbs are not moving no. and so when you go to make that first movement i would mm. feel this awful pain shoot yes. through my hand yes and so that that was one of the worst things i think happened yeah. and it, it uh caused me to be to be more concerned about the way in which I held my child and yeah. sometimes not really holding him. So mm. to rock him to sleep, my husband would do so rather than me. And it made me feel like, oh, you know, I'm sometimes not like less of a mom, but, you know, just wishing I could be there to hold him yeah. more. Cause, and it lasted for so long. I would dare say maybe five or six months. Oh, wow. Um, that, again, I'm not even sure when, when that completely went away. But it lasted for a very long time mm-hmm. after pregnancy. Wow. So that's, you know what? You are the first person, once again, I keep saying this, sound like a broken record, that has mentioned these two because I think a lot of times we think postpartum, we think about all the bleeding that we experience after, you know, things like maybe a leaking. But many people don't talk about the fact that yeah you get a lot of weakness in your hands you get the pain in your hands and your thumbs um as well as the swelling after because i'm i know you and i are not the only ones 
another thing that happened to me too. So I had somewhat of a decent pregnancy. So most of the things happened after giving birth. I wasn't able to properly like bend over and pick things up. If I went to bend, then I had to like slowly lift myself back up into an upright Mm. position. Mm. Uh, And I felt like an old person actually because like suddenly this person who was an active, physically active person, like I played sports for all of my life. Right. I was on the netball teams, on national teams. And I'm the kind of person that if I fell down whilst trying to catch a ball or defend my position, I'm up. No one, you would never see me staying on the ground. Yeah, we do that and have all the tactics of these things. So suddenly, I'm not even able to do a simple bend. And when I say bend, I don't mean necessarily to bend fully over and pick something up off the floor, but just, just to like, like even, yeah. And that was so concerning to me because I felt like an old person all of mm-hmm. a sudden. Yeah. And no disrespect to older persons. Yeah, no, but, none whatsoever. Yeah, but meaning because of my age, I don't think I should have been experiencing mm-hmm. something like that. Obviously, it was attributed to pregnancy, but right. You know. Did you get any help for that though? No, I think it just went away eventually. Okay. okay. Again, I don't even know. <laughs> I know. All right. So moving on to your IG profile because I oh. actually. For people, um, my listeners, I actually met Nicosia through IG, really and truly, um, indirectly, I guess, content, <laughs> content, content. <Yeah. laughs> so um, your profile, your name is Just Call Me Nick, and um, you describe yourself as a time management strategist, right? Yeah. So tell us and all my listeners a little bit of how you've been able to manage your time, being a wife, a new mother, um, a busy attorney. Like, how do you do it? Like, what are your main things, like strategies? Okay. So obviously being a busy attorney, throwing a child into the mix and being a mother who, which Mm -hmm. that suggests that I'm the primary caretaker, right? Mm -hmm. I have a husband, thankfully he's very hands-on, but still there's so many things that no matter how much help you have, you being the mother, you're the only one who could really do those things. uh, Or you may want to do those things. Mm -hmm. You may choose to do those things because some people Mm -hmm. still choose not to. And that's fine. That's your prerogative. But um, so it wasn't enough to be just a busy, busy attorney. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, and I'm a wife, obviously, and I have my own personality and my own interests. So there are a lot of things that I have to consider when I when I'm thinking about my day and my time and that was sort of the catalyst for just call me Nick well Mm -hmm. not entirely but just the 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 new focus on time management and time strategy so I started that page when I was in Hong Kong just showing people a black person living in Asia and my travels throughout Asia and then have redirected it in the last several months or maybe even a year uh, to dealing and focusing on time management and one of, some of the things that I do and I make sure that I have to write down all of the things that I need to get done in a particular day. Yeah. And not just in the day, but just in general. So I have a running list of tasks that I would like to complete at some point. Mm-hmm. And 
I have an idea of when those deadlines are. So if there's a, a hard deadline, I will note it. I make sure I enter that deadline into my calendar. And if there isn't a hard deadline, I decide when I would like to accomplish that task. And each day I would check that running list. I would also think about any other tasks that might have popped up, whether the day before or from work or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I add those tasks to my task list for that day. Right. And then so I have two separate task lists, one that's running, it's ongoing, mm-hmm. and then one specific for each day. And yeah. then from my task list, I enter all of those tasks into a calendar. And that calendar will also include things that may not be on my task list, but let's say someone's birthday, a birthday reminder, yeah. an event, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the calendar helps me to uh, schedule each task for a time period throughout that day. So I know when I'm going likely or going to complete a particular task. And I also make sure I try to schedule in my breaks. So my lunch hour, my phone calls, as simple as they might be, even returning someone's phone call. I schedule any workout, any, um, you know, fitness commitments that I may have, any meetings, uh, and, and so forth. And I try to stick to that, of course, Things change throughout the yeah. day. But you mm-hmm. then have to keep abreast of what's happening and see whether or not you need to revise any of your tasks or any of your, your entries on your calendar. And right. you can remove or add, um, but try not to be too liberal with that because yeah. obviously it's so easy for us to say, oh, well, I don't really need to deal with this today. And then you keep pushing things off. And yeah. another thing I try to do is I try not to book too much in one day. We mm-hmm. think that we have to get everything done. We don't. We don't need there. Tomorrow is always there if mm-hmm. the good Lord grants it to us. Right. So, well, I believe in there being a Lord. So for yeah. me, if the good Lord grants it to us. So um, you pick one or two things that you're going to focus on outside right. of your usual work commitments and family commitments. And another yeah. thing I try to do, being a mother, I make sure I dedicate time for my son each day. So yeah. if I can, if I'm not working on anything that's too urgent, that that um, if I have time, that would allow me after work to spend at least an hour or two with my son. And I mm-hmm. try to be home to put him to sleep. There are times yeah. when I'm not able to do that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Once I know most of the times I'm able to do so, if possible. Yeah. I know mm-hmm. some people have uh, careers that don't allow them to do so. Like if you're a nurse or a doctor or, you know, you, you work outside of your home or you work outside of the country and your exactly. children are back home. I understand that. But I even making that phone call. So during my lunch hour, usually I will take out my phone, do a video call with my son and Aww. say hello. And yeah. um, th- th- that's part of what I do and what I focus on in terms of time management and helping people how to better utilize their time and make efficient, effective and uh, productive use of their time. That's fantastic. And let me ask you something. Did, do you use a digital calendar or are you like paper-based? What's, what works for you? Well, I used to think I'm a paper-based person. But I've uh, now converted over to digital. But it doesn't matter what anyone uses, really. It's what Mm -hmm. works for them. I do still have a a paper, like journal and calendar. Mm -hmm. But I tend to still put everything into my phone because it's with me. And that that helps me if I don't have my my, um, hard copy calendar with me. And most of the times, it's just easier to whip out your phone and enter 
something into your calendar rather than oh goodness I forgot my 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 heart yeah. today so uh, I have to write it on a post-it note and when I get home put it into my calendar yeah so I yeah. find it just more easy and handy and convenient to have everything on my phone fantastic so I mean I I just we've been having such a great chat I have mm-hmm. not looked time but i know you have to run um and i also don't want this episode to be too too long but for any expectant mothers out there listening to this podcast what's the number one recommendation you would make for them to ma- to help them manage their the many demands that are going to be placed on them as a new mom or even a mother for the second time, like what is your number one recommendation based on your experience? I would say just identify the things that are most important to you. So Mm -hmm. for me, outside of work, what's most important to me is my family. And I schedule things around that. So I'll say to people, Sundays are off limits. I will not call you before 6 p.m. I will not speak with you. I will not go on social media. There are a lot of things that I won't do on a Sunday. That's my family time. Yeah. And so you set your boundaries as well. So mm-hmm. identify what's important to you and set boundaries and stick to those boundaries. People will have to understand and accept that you are not available at certain time of the day. Yeah, I like that. I love that. So I like to end off with my guests choosing a song that's representative of their journey. Oh. I know. I don't know if you skimmed this one, but... <laughs> If you can, just off the top of your head, that song that maybe just represents your journey from being a new wife to a mother, the whole pregnancy, birth experience, any song comes to mind. So you know what comes to mind? And I'm a practicing Christian, so some people might be surprised that it's a secular song, but I'm Every Woman by Whitney Houston. It's Mm. all. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Nick, for doing this. I really oh, appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me. And I'm happy to be back on again. Let me just put that out there. <laughs> anytime, anytime. So thank you. And um, yeah, maybe we'll do part two. Who knows? Yeah. Thank you so uh, much. Sarah. You're most welcome. Caribbean Birth Stories has been brought to you by the Amai Birth Collection. Head over to the amishop.com. That's the AMAIshop.com for special offers and to learn more about the AMI family. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'd be grateful if you could leave a review about what you're loving on this podcast and be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes.